Well, just think of it. Love divine, all loves excelling. That is an interesting point that's made in that song, that there are lots of different loves out there. Our Supreme Court a few years ago said, love who you want. That was quite an erudite legal opinion. Love who you want. Ah, but they stopped short of, you know, love multiple people or, or love uh, your pet or love a child or, well, I mean, there's still limits. Hmm, but why? If it's love who you want. And I think as the song points out, there is a love that excels all other human loves. And that's what we want to talk about today as well. Uh, I'm going to talk about a controversial event. I think as believers, we should not shy away from confronting the topics of the day. They should not dominate our thoughts in a fearful way. We should not become so swept up with current events and uh, the shifting tides of morals and society that we're no, of no earthly good. Uh, we should be more focused on biblical theology and on who God is. But it is necessary for us from time to time to take note of what's happening in our society and to consider how, as a believer, we ought to respond. And so when I was thinking about what the Lord would have me talk about today, I knew that I wanted to confront this issue that took place while most of you weren't here. And this last summer, Watertown experienced an event that, that thrust our community into the national headlines. Watertown, Wisconsin was the top headline on foxnews.com and CNN and MSNBC even picked it up. How many of you saw one of those headlines and kind of know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was a pretty scary day, to be honest with you, because of some of the things that happened. And so we didn't choose necessarily to become the epicenter of the world's gaze in this particular issue, but like it or not, that's where we found ourselves. It was just the second time, the second annual, so to speak, Pride in the Park event, and it attracted all kinds of controversy. Most of the performers and agitators, as it turned out, came from outside of Watertown. They're not people who live here in our community and have to deal with the day-to-day -day fallout of their decisions. Instead, they came to Watertown to make a point, and our city became the unintentional crossroads of a national conversation specifically about transsexual issues. Did you ever think Watertown, Wisconsin would have anything relevant to do with that? The LGBT movement has attempted to convert the word pride into a virtue. Their governing premise seems to be that an individual's identity is based entirely on their internal perception of themselves. Their basest and ungoverned desires, whatever it is that your internal compulsion tells you, that's who you are. And that you need to be confident and secure in that identity. But of course, pride, in this use of the word, has gone much further than just the personal confidence of the queer folks, as they would refer to themselves, in recent years, to the extent that now pride is something that everyone must affirm and, in fact, celebrate. 
at the risk of being called transphobic. And this is why people of faith who live in submission to the design of Almighty God as revealed in Scripture find themselves squarely in the crosshairs of the movement. So let me tell you about the event. One of the most controversial aspects of the Pride in the Park event included a a drag queen story hour where men dressed in a caricature parody of some twisted concept of women, who I've never seen any real women like this, read LGBT books to a very small assembled crowd of a dozen or so children and their families. This is a picture that the national news headlines loves to use, and including our Watertown Daily Times. Every time there's a story about this issue, this is the picture they choose. They must have paid for it, and now they're getting their money's worth. But one of the prime events for the, for the day was a drag show where various performers cross-dressed and danced around in silly outfits while a very small crowd of supporters cheered them on. The event was fairly mild, honestly, compared to the lewd and debauched scenes that have taken place in other venues across the country. The performers did not expose themselves. They did not perform any simulated sex acts, as we've seen in some of these other drag shows. And in fact, having received a tip from the FBI, the Watertown Police Department was out in force. At first... When I saw some of the video, all I saw were the police officers decked out in tactical gear, body armor, and strapped with long guns like ARs and shotguns. And honestly, I thought, oh, this is an overreaction. I mean, come on, guys. You're kind of overdoing it, aren't you? But in fairness, the neo-Nazis did show up (laughs) with guns. And I realized that the police were absolutely right to be ready for trouble. This is a sickening group of about a dozen or so protesters that came to Wisconsin from somewhere down south. They're not from around here, obviously. They marched up the sidewalk and they shouted things like, death to pedophiles. Their behavior and the things that they stand for are deplorable, and we condemn them in the strongest possible terms. Under the watchful eye of the police, the group waved their flags and chanted some things for a while while then dispersing literally into all different directions and leaving really without any further incident. As it turned out, they were amongst the more polite protesters that were there. And of course, several Christian groups came to protest as well. Most of them stood peacefully and respectfully, holding signs and offering conversation One group ignored the warning from police and continued to use a loudspeaker to read Bible verses. And one of their members was detained briefly and ticketed. It's later come out that the same young man has now been charged with calling in a fake bomb threat in an attempt to convince the police to shut down the event and clear the park. We don't know how that will turn out. The criminal charges are still pending. The more I learn about the events that unfolded that day, the more respect I have for the police officers who placed themselves between the different groups, trying to protect all of the folks who were there in the park. We're very thankful that the raw emotions that were on display did not result in any 
injuries or violence. Although protesters were removed when they attempted to disrupt the event and one or two folks were detained, it seems that, to me at least, the police acted with measured restraint and fairness in a very difficult and very nerve-wracking circumstance that probably none of us would ever want to be in. Many of those men, by the way, are believers that attend local churches here in Watertown. I'm talking about the police. And we should respect them and give them some deference as to what they know that we may not know. And we should express our appreciation and support to law enforcement for the preparation they put in and for their restraining presence. I'm thankful for that. And we can all easily criticize, right? It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy easy to stand on the outside when you don't have the responsibility to keep everyone safe and say, well, you should have done this and you shouldn't have done that. But I admire their restraint. I think overall they did a good a good job. So for the Christian, how should we respond to pride in the park? Well, personally, I was disgusted at every aspect of the event. I was embarrassed that such a thing was taking place in my town. It seems that that forces and organizations from far outside the city wanted to turn this into an annual event And if that happens, I'm certainly concerned about who will show up next year. Now that it has attracted the national headlines and neo-Nazis from who knows where, will Antifa show up next year? Certainly this event has caused extended conversations about what to do. Outraged citizens from both sides have spoken frequently at city council meetings written opinion letters to the local papers, and certainly we've seen plenty of diatribes on social media. Criminal charges are still playing out in court. And the city leaders are considering adjustments to the city code within the protections and limitations of the Constitution. It's a difficult question. But the overall sentiment seems to be, do something! And after witnessing something like this, that's all that many people are really screaming right now. But what should be done? In a free society where the First Amendment protects speech even that we disagree with, the legal options are much more limited than most Christians seem to understand. Certainly, some legal protections for children, for protesters, and for the general public are being considered. But as I mentioned, this event really did not cross any of the legal lines considered obscenity such that the First Amendment would allow restriction. Several very good Christian folks are involved in city politics, and they're actively seeking godly solutions and protections. But the fact is, we're not going to legally outlaw pride in the park. You can't. It's constitutionally protected. And those same rights protect the Christian's right to speak unpopular, controversial truths. You don't want to erode that wall. And also, we cannot and should not fight fire with fire. The Bible never instructs the believer to use deception, threats, or angry confrontations to combat wickedness. Yes, 
We are righteously angered by sin, especially when we see children exposed to such ungodly influences. But we cannot stop and we cannot stoop to the world's tactics of violence or false threats. Angry name-calling and confrontation will not change a single heart for Christ. And so for believers, how should the Christian respond? I have three suggestions. Number one, deal with the wickedness in our society through the power of the gospel. Number two, model the good. Stand for truth. Speak the truth. And number three, deal with the hypocrisy of pride in our own hearts. On the heels of everyone shouting, do something, we did. And later this summer, this is how we address drag queen story time with the truth. And in August, some folks from Calvary Baptist Church organized a family story time at the Watertown Public Library. Over 60 children and their families attended the event, far more children than were there for the drag queen story hour. And we were grateful to have Mr. and Mrs. Kowinski and, and Mrs. Chapman read Christian-themed stories to the children and participate in activities that reinforced biblical values for faith and for family. Many of our Maranatha faculty and staff that have small children brought them. And I'm so thankful that the Milkies and uh, uh, some of the other families brought their kids that like doubled the crowd. It was great. I appreciate that. Last month... Calvary took over the town square for a Sunday evening concert with Christian music and gospel preaching with several hundred in attendance from the surrounding community. This is the kind of public testimony needed to counteract the wickedness of our current day. We must unashamedly stand for truth and raise children that know the truth and learn to follow God's design. That is what we should always be busy with. And frankly, I think we've gotten a little complacent about that. So events like this help us model the good and stand for truth. But with the remaining time this morning, I want to focus on the third element of the Christian's response. To deal with the hypocrisy of pride in our own hearts. The sin of pride is insidious. If we do not take proactive steps to deal with it biblically, it will destroy your testimony and your effectiveness for God. To say it plainly, I'm much more concerned that we deal with the pride in ourselves every day than the pride in the park once a year. And so... Let's talk about pride. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 18. We'll be there in just a moment. Of all the characters in the Bible, probably no one is more repugnant than the self-righteous Pharisee in the parable of Jesus given to us in Luke 18. Of course, the irony is, as we condemn that man, we easily fall into the same self-righteous sin <laughs> and the same sinful attitude. The sin of pride, not pride in general, the sin of pride, certainly expressions of pride, are special 
temptations to the believer. We should look at, this morning, four manifestations of pride that we are most susceptible to. We will, we will look at the pride of moral self-righteousness, the pride of correct doctrine, the pride of achievement, and the pride of an independent spirit. You see, pride in these areas can actually become one of those respectable sins, those things that we don't necessarily condemn as the sin out there, it's the sin in here. You see, believers are kind of becoming experts at decrying and, and railing against the sin out there. Oh, look at those wicked people. We need to do something about them. And it's almost like as long as we're just focused out there, we don't have to do any of the hard work in our own hearts. And so that's why this morning, yes, it's a little bit of a rope-a-dope, that I'm not really talking about pride in the park. I'm talking about pride in ourselves. None of us are free from these manifestations of pride. The problem is, it's just much easier to see it in others than it is in ourselves. One of the solutions, in fact, is just to recognize it. If we're already pre-committed to confessing and yielding ourselves to the Lord, then once it is pointed out, the work is almost done. Romans 2, verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest not thou thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? You see, the Bible doesn't let us off the hook for this kind of hypocrisy. And so let's look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Of course, the men listening to this story knew exactly who the hero and who the villain was in this story right away. They were all Pharisees, and they hated publicans. So they're like, all right, good guys, bad guys, light side, dark side, we got this figured out. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Wow, name and names. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's look at those manifestations of pride in light of this lesson. The first manifestation of pride we look at is moral self-righteousness. Yes, those feelings of moral superiority that make us so comfortable and feel so good about all the positions and all of the decisions that we've made. The fact is, this kind of superiority is not unique to religion. It's found in many other spheres of society. Politics, you find it in culture, economics, in the environment. There's the in-crowd. We have the right stand, the right beliefs, and the right lifestyle. And there's the out-crowd, the others. And we're always trying to tribe up right? Here's my group. 
And so all of us in here, we're the independent Baptist group, and we've got it all right. And as long as we look right and, and smell right and speak right, then somehow we are right. Wrong. That's not God's standard. You see, holding the moral high ground gives one the high ground. And that, in and of itself, is a manifestation of the self-righteousness that God says this man is not going to prosper. Now, it's easy to feel morally superior when you actually are right. <laughs> In other words, we have God's word to tell us what's right and wrong. And we believe it by faith. And so, firmly, we are convinced that we are right. And that's why it's a particular temptation to Bible-believing Christians who stand on the authority of Almighty God for us to sort of appropriate some of God's glory and some of God's righteousness and to sort of act like it's ours as well. We need to be careful here because everything all around us is rapidly declining and we are supposed to exercise discernment. But this pride creeps in even when we are right. Ultimately, I think what we see here is a spirit of contempt. You cross the line from confidence in being right to sinful self-righteousness when, like the Pharisee here in the story, you begin to despise the people on the outside instead of loving them and wanting them to join you on the moral high ground. When it becomes exclusive, when we begin to have contempt rather than godly sorrow for the sin of our society. Notice verse 9, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Those two things oftentimes go together, don't they? They do. And so what can we do to guard against a self-righteous spirit? Well, number one, we must seek an attitude of humility, an accurate view of ourselves before God. That's the antidote to self-righteous pride. I didn't earn this position on the moral high ground. Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. I'm nobody. The only reason I'm somebody is God loved me. And God loves those people on the outside looking in as well. Understanding our sin and our sin nature, that we are all capable of the, of the absolute worst and wicked things that we see in the world around us. But God has given grace. Yes, we should be thankful for that, that we've been rescued from the effects of that sinful, sinful behavior. But this is what brings gratitude to our thinking and hope to our message. It's the humility factor. And then we want to identify. Identify before God, not with the moral high ground as opposed to the immorality of the society, but to identify before God with the sinful society in which we live. Now be careful here, understand what I mean. In prayer before God, we should take responsibility for our part in the sinfulness around us. Now, I'm not for societal sins being confessed in an Old Testament sense. But I do think that there is something to be learned here that will help us to guard against self-righteousness. You see, this happened in Watertown in spite of the fact that we're here. But we're here. And this sinfulness is here in our community. 
which means that whatever it is about this community and the job that we are doing, shining the light of the gospel within it, this sin found its way in. Don't you think we bear some measure of responsibility for that? Ezra thought so. Now, now Ezra, in, in Ezra 7.10, he was not personally guilty. He had not defiled himself like the society in which he lived. It says in verse 10, for, as a matter of fact, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He was a righteous man. And yet, two chapters later, as a leader and as God's messenger, he personally identified with God's people. It says in verse 5, And at the evening sacrifice I arose from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our, trespasses, our trespass is grown up into the heavens. Now, we're not prophets in ancient Israel. That was a hard job, by the way. Sometimes we may feel like that, and as our society declines, we may be more like that. But it will help us avoid the pride of self-righteousness if we adopt a spirit of identification and sorrow over the sins of our nation and our culture and our society. The second manifestation of pride I want to look at this morning is the pride of correct doctrine. You see, my doctrinal grid is perfect. Anyone that sees things differently in Scripture must be inferior to me. My beliefs are correct. Anyone who holds different beliefs, they're just off the radar. Now, this is different than exercising discernment. There are lots of wrong thoughts out there theologically. And this is, by the way, most common with, ironically, theological systems, frameworks, and doubtful things. People stand on those gray area matters of Scripture. Isn't it ironic that on man-made theological grids and doubtful things in which good people can differ according to Scripture, those are the things we build the strongest sense of pride of correct doctrine. Interesting. 1 Corinthians says something about that. 1 Corinthians 8, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. These are two areas that we probably should be the least confident and the least proud about. And in this particular example, Paul agreed with the position that the Corinthian church had taken. And yet... He still calls out their uncharitable attitude as a proud and sinful spirit. You see, being right is not the sin. The sin is in the dismissive and condescending attitude that takes pride in the belief system. We must also realize that within a free society, we operate by persuasion through the power of the Holy Spirit not through the coercive power of the law or violence. And so, yes, we should hold convictions, but we should hold them in humility. Next, we see the pride of achievement. Because 
Hard work does relate to success. The scripture tells us that in Proverbs 13. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. That ought to like be the theme song of fundamentalism, right? Evidently that seems to be the case. There is a cause and effect relationship between hard work and success in any endeavor. But we must remind ourselves that success still happens only under God's sovereign control. In 1 Samuel 2, he says, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. And so we ought not to have pride even when we have achievement. Because our ability to achieve comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4. Who, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why do you glory? As if thou hadst not received it. Yes, there was diligent effort involved. And you need to study. And you need to work hard. But who gave you the ability and who gave you the desire to succeed? And who blessed your efforts? Ultimately, all of it is from God. And so failure to acknowledge that the success has ultimately come from God tends to promote a pride of achievement that does not honor God. So what do we do? Are we willing to labor in obscurity? doing our job as unto the Lord, or do we become disgruntled over the lack of recognition? There are two principles that will help us avoid this aspect of pride. The first is to remember your duty. Luke 17, verse 10. Doth he thank, thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye, ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. And then remember that all recognition comes from God. For promotion, according to Psalm 75, cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge, he putteth down one and setteth up another. Remember that, by the way, next time you want to criticize somebody in authority. God put them there. And believe me, I understand what it's like. I remember what it's like to be under authority in that sense and think everybody above you is an idiot. No, they're not. No, they're not. They were set there by God, if you understand the scriptures. Putting these two principles together causes us to, causes us to say, all of this is by grace. I deserve nothing. And everything I do receive, including recognition, is only by God's grace. Therefore, if I don't receive it, I'm not going to worry. The final pride we look at this morning is the pride of an independent spirit. This is particularly true and frequently true with the young and the inexperienced. Even more frequent than the older and wiser. Oh, whoops. Proverbs has much to say about a teachable spirit. The first verse of Proverbs 2, 3, 4, 5, and 7 are all a pretty good start. We see in this independent spirit a resistance of authority, any authority. We see an unteachable attitude, sort of a know-it-all attitude. I always kind of marvel 
when a student comes to college with this attitude. And you think, man, you're paying an awful lot of money if you already know everything. I mean, maybe we should have just mailed you a diploma and called it, called it quits. And, and, and you say that sarcastically, and they go, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Goes right over their head. This frequently comes up when you're having those dorm theological debates, and somebody says, well, I think, and there's no scripture after that? You can pretty much just toss that away. It's that unteachable attitude I already know. You see, God is honored by our humble and submissive spirit. Isaiah 66, 2 says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So how should we deal with pride in the park? Well, the best approach Deal with the wickedness in our society through the power of the gospel. As our neighbors come to Christ and see things God's way, pride in the park will take care of itself. So we deal with it through the power of the gospel. Number two, we model the good and we stand for truth. And we're not afraid to back down when, it ha- when we have that opportunity. And number three, we deal with the hypocrisy of pride in our own hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for opportunities to show forth the truth of the gospel. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And very rarely does it fit into what we would naturally like to do. And so, Lord, help us to respond biblically. Empower those that do sit in positions of authority to have the wisdom and discernment and the good grace to Uh, proceed with enhancements or adjustments that might be appropriate and fitting. Thank you for the authorities that continue to protect and to serve in that capacity that you have ordained them to do, whether it be our government officials or our police. Thank you for them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to use every opportunity to bring glory to you, even those that we don't choose and don't desire. And most importantly, Lord, help us to deal with the pride in our hearts every day. And for that, we'll give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.